news and entertainment, truth versus lies. I mean, it is a mix. And I think that people who watch have to be very discerning about what is going on there. You're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm Gwendolyn Dolsky. And I'm Rudy Sallow. And this is the podcast where we learn what we didn't know we didn't know in the spirit of Socrates, all for a better life, a more informed life. Today, we're definitely going to be learning about some details. Yeah, today, I would say I've thought a fair amount about this episode since we recorded it. And I just keep thinking about how important this discussion is about the future of journalism and the philosophy of journalism. Like, what is the point of journalism? Journalism was one thing in the past. These days, you know, whatever these news channels are putting out there, what is news? What could qualify as news? Oh, yeah. And the money aspect? This is a person who is a Bloomberg reporter, a reporter her whole life, that is now in the medium of podcasting. And we discuss news and we discuss journalism. And it it truly is the philosophy of journalism and the future of journalism. What do you think? Yes. And we're, you know, one of my biggest questions is a journalist, what do you think of podcasting as a medium? So we're also talking about podcasting. If anyone's interested in either journalism or podcasting, this is definitely a cool episode for you. And I got to nerd out because her first guest on her podcast was Gloria Steinem. So our guest is journalist and also host of the podcast, Now What? Carol Zimmer. Yes, she is got a wonderful sense of humor. She talks about her relationship with Gloria. We also talk about her interview with Dr. Fauci. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this we are with a journalist, old school journalist who has become a podcaster, but we discuss the future of journalism as well as the philosophy of journalism. So Gwen, I'm going to pitch you on a on a title of this. I was thinking about it. Okay. The future, no, the philosophy and future of journalism. There we go. That's perfect. Before we get started, we have some business. We need to thank our latest, our newest patron, Deanna. Thank you so much for joining our Patreon. And for anyone else, I've got a link in the show notes, patreon.com slash good is in the details, where you've got a new book up. You can join our book club and get extra content. And of course, support your favorite pod. All right. So let's get started. What was that title again, Rudy? The Philosophy and Future of journalism. Okay. (laughs) Carol Zimmer, welcome to Good is in the Details. I'm so excited to have you. I'm excited to be here and uh, I look forward to our conversation. I absolutely love your podcast, Now What? And your list of guests is so impressive. You have a background in journalism. There's like two things that I really want to ask you. So you can, if you want to pick the order. (laughs) Okay. How did you get Gloria Steinem? I want to know about, I studied feminist theory. And so Gloria Steinem is like just amazing to me. So I have to know about that experience. There are so many other great guests, but I just want to know about like starting your podcast with Gloria Steinem. And then the other thing, and we can work this in, your background in journalism, I'm wondering about what you were thinking about journalism and then going to podcasting, and if you have any commentary on the state of journalism today. We just got the news this morning about what we found out last week about Fox News, just the news this morning that Tucker Carlson is no longer going to be on there. We don't have to be political, but there does seem to be this shakeup when it comes to journalism, and given your experience, it would be so cool to know what you think of that. So 
you know, how you got started with Gloria Steinem, and then we'll talk about journalism if that's okay, whichever order you want. So Gloria Steinem is a treasure. She's like a national treasure in Japan. They have national treasures and we don't have them here, but we should. And Gloria should be one of them. Gloria was 89 a month ago, and she's going to Africa to ride elephants next month. So my association with Gloria started, I've had a long journalism career, which has been great, but I started interviewing Gloria a long time ago. Like I would say probably maybe the 80s or the 90s. And so periodically I would do stories about feminism, women's liberation, uh, the state of our political situation in this country. And I would seek out Gloria and she was always incredibly gracious and would be there for me, which was really wonderful. And then I happened to get accepted to a writer's colony in the state of Washington. It was a writer's colony for women. It's called Hedgebrook. It's a wonderful place. And Gloria was a resident there at the same time that I was. So we spent a week during the day. She'd write her book. I'd write my book. There were only six of us. So I got to know Gloria even better then. And then we formed a writing group in her apartment and I was in that writing group. So over the years, I've been involved with Gloria, uh, talking to her as a reporter, getting her opinion about things, but also sharing uh, the space with her as a, as a friend and as a writer. And it's been, it's been a wonderful, amazing experience. What was it like meeting her? Because you must have the, the image or the idea. What is it when you actually meet her, you're introducing, like, can you bring me back to that time? Like, what was your impression? I'm going to bring you back to the first episode because Gloria had, oh, I worked for Bloomberg News and Gloria had always encouraged me, oh, the corporate thing, the corporate thing, why don't you go do your own thing? And that is a big deal to leave a company uh, that pays you and go out on your own. So I didn't do it for a long time, but Gloria really encouraged me. And then when I left and I decided to do a podcast, particularly about inspiration and talking to people who had these amazing amazing stories to tell and had accomplished amazing things in the world. I got in touch with Gloria and I said, okay, uh, I'm doing it. You know, I'm doing this podcast. Will you be my first guest? And she said she would. And so I went to her brownstone in Manhattan and we spent the afternoon in her house talking about all the important things. And she showed me all the amazing things she had picked up on her travels around the world. Gloria has great taste in clothes. We talked a lot about shopping because I'm a big shopper. And she said, it's okay if you shop, but you got to get rid of stuff too. You can't just like pile this stuff up. So before we left, we went through her closet and she showed me her favorite motorcycle jacket with the spikes. And we talked about fashion and she says she's not a fashion icon, but actually she wears these amazing belts and she is kind of a fashion icon. But it was an afternoon I will never forget because Gloria is, you call her an icon and she will say to you, don't call me an icon. I'm not an icon. I'm just a person. She's extremely modest. She is for real. You know, like sometimes you meet people and you feel like, okay, great what they have to say, but I don't, I don't know, something a little phony or a little, you know, self-absorbed or that kind of thing. Gloria's not like that. And that is a, an amazing thing about Gloria. You would really like her, Gwen. <laughs> I think I would, I would be paralyzed. <laughs> I don't even know what I, what I would say. 
it's just such such a stunning get. And I think it would be interesting also to know what she's thinking about the trajectory of feminism, because I think I think there's still to this day a misunderstanding of what feminism is. And there's so many evolutions of it. And I, I studied Simone de Beauvoir. And so it was very cool for me to one time I got to interview an American scholar who is the, I think the only American scholar in philosophy who actually worked with Simone de Beauvoir. And I had the same question, like, what was it like to actually meet Simone de Beauvoir? I'm really fascinated by, like you said, the inspirational people, because I just wonder what that would be like to stand up and have a voice that is counter to what everything in the culture is telling you is true. The idea of feminism to this day, still, some people are afraid that it's a dirty word. Like I was on another podcast and the person asked me, are you a feminist? Almost like it was a secret that we were sharing. And I said, yes. And I tell people it boils down to this idea despite all the different variations of it, that there should not be a legal or cultural barrier to you based on the body into which you were born. And whenever I put it that way, people kind of nod their head and they say, okay, I can understand that because it's not only about being born into the the female body, but it can also be about if you have a disability, if you are different ethnicities and different race, that there should not be any kind of legal or cultural barrier to that. So feminism also brought in a lot of other culture and legal revolutions, I think. But you've also had other guests like Dr. Anthony Fauci. So, okay, gotta ask, what was that like? We, you know, we see Dr. Anthony Fauci. He was like on the cover of everything. Everybody was hanging on to every word that he said. He also had a lot of criticism from right-wing media and he weathered that storm. And he is also an incredible person. I've seen video clips of him when he was first talking about HIV and AIDS. And now he's talking about a pandemic that we haven't seen in a hundred years. What was it like to interview Dr. Anthony Fauci? So here's an interesting story, I think, because I had tried to get him during the pandemic and his person, his assistant was like, no, he's too busy. And of course, I I understood that. And then about five months ago, I contacted this person again and I said I wanted to talk to Dr. Fauci. I said I wanted to talk to him because I had seen this documentary about AIDS. The New York Times recommended it as if you want to know how to start a protest movement that will change the course of a disease, you should watch this documentary. It was about ACT UP, the formation of ACT UP. And in the documentary, it had a very young Anthony Fauci, who was then at NIH. He was just at the beginning of his career. He was very skeptical about these ACT UP people. They were creating protests about HIV, AIDS, the fact that so many men were dying of this disease. The, the, the U.S. government was paying no attention to it and something needed to be done. And they went to Washington and blah, blah, blah. He was not convinced. But as the years went on, he became a major supporter of HIV AIDS research and a major friend of these ACT UP people. Larry Kramer was a founder of ACT UP. And Larry Kramer, at the beginning of this whole protest movement, said, called Anthony Fauci akin to a Nazi. He compared him to Hitler because he wouldn't listen to the truth. By the time Larry Kramer died, Fauci and Larry Kramer were really close friends. And I thought, 
in this era, when people can't even talk to each other who have different beliefs or ideas, the fact that these two became fast friends really fascinated me about Fauci. And in the note I wrote to say I wanted him on my podcast, I told this story about this is a man who knows how to listen. He knows how to change. He knows how to become something other than what he started out as. And that, I think, did it. And they said, okay, he'll be on he'll be on your podcast. And that's how it happened. When he was on the podcast, he comes on wearing like a suit and a tie. And I'm like, why are you wearing a suit and a tie? It's like you, 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 just, you just left the garbage, you know? This is how I come to work every day. And he, in some ways, is a really buttoned up guy. That is the truth. But he's also like, like Gloria, he's a very... You can reach him. You can talk to him. He is a very present person, which is always, as you know, the best way to talk to somebody. Somebody's got to be there for you to bounce off of and have a conversation with. And he was. He talked a lot about HIV AIDS, which is one of the great achievements in his career. Of course, the COVID-19 epidemic, also he became front and center, but he also became the butt of right-wing conspiracy theories. And you look at this 82-year-old guy in a shirt and a tie, the most proper person you've ever met, and you think he has devoted his life to science. How could people think he's trying to make money off the vaccine? I mean, it just seemed so ludicrous to me that this person has become, yes, the hero of many people, but also like a person who right-wing conspiracy theorists think is trying to get something over on the American people. It really does show this distinction that, or that science still has a cultural reality. And so even from the HIV and AIDS, and then even we've had a discussion about um, our one of our most recent episodes was about climate change and the impact that it has on how one decides where and how to buy a home and what happens when you have this cultural resistance to science. The science ends up winning at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter what your feelings are or how we have to shift. But it's interesting that one person was in the center of that when it came to HIV and AIDS and then COVID-19. Oh, I- what I'm fascinated about was that it seems like our um, ability to, whether you call it forgiveness or whether you call it accepting that people can change their mind, seems to be gone You know, these days. The, the discourse. It sounds like Dr. Fauci had one position uh, he was labeled, as you said, uh, some very bad names that didn't affect his ability. They didn't cloud his ability to go, okay, let me let me actually do some research and learn about this and uh, and then change his mind and become a, a hero of that cause. Like that's, to me, that's somebody that should be admired and, and we need to see more of today. The ability to change your mind, the ability to take one position, the ability to mature, the ability to, to expand your horizon uh, isn't celebrated enough. And why I fear uh, for the future of our country, and one of the reasons why we do this podcast is I'm sure I've taken positions in the past that um, I'm, I'm complete opposite on, or I was a different person, and I'm trying to show my expansion of my own self, Carol. Um, how do we make that part and parcel of how we educate the youth or even it doesn't even need to be youth. It could be people in their thirties and forties. It doesn't seem like people are willing to accept that people can change their mind after having good discourse. Like what can we do to make things better Uh, from your position, speaking to uh, Dr. Fauci, from your position being in Bloomberg, from your position with your podcast, 
How important of a goal was that? And what can we do to make things better for our country? Well, I think it goes to what Gwen was talking about before, and that is journalism. And when I went into journalism, it was a different world. And I think social media has really changed our ability to listen and respond in a reasonable way. And I don't know the answer to that, Rudy, because this that really bothers me, because I think that the basis of social media is to stir people up. And the angrier they get, the more involved they're going to be in the conversation. And it spins out of control, not only in terms of emotional balance, but also in terms of truth versus lies. And I don't know what we do about that. I mean, I do think you need to educate people about resilience and about being reasonable, about science versus stuff you make up about you know, we, we heard for four years during the last political administration, fake news. You know, the difference between fact and lies was a race. Now, that is a basic tenet of the way we live. It's the first thing you teach your kid when, they, when they're babies, when they're little kids is like, that's a lie. That didn't happen. You have to, you have to say the truth. And I feel very worried about that line being erased. And I don't know what we do about that. We have to educate people for sure. But I don't know that that's enough. I think social media is a big part of it. We talk about the, the dangers of social media a lot on this show. Don't, don't get me wrong. We also talk about the positives of social media on this show. You know, I don't want to I don't want to just paint it as being, you know, all terrible. There are some great things through social media, mostly interconnectedness, right? I mean, during during the pandemic, when we were all separated, it was nice to have social media and to confer with people and see how everything is going. Could this be a rule? Don't get your news from social media. You are not allowed, like, should I, I'm, and I'm, I'm talking about my children. So imagine Rudy talking to his children right now about the future, and I'm trying to educate them, Carol. Is a rule that I can teach my children, you are not allowed to get your news and base your base reason from something you saw on social media. You are required to actually do some investigation. Is that fair? Is that a good lesson for me to teach my children? I think it's a good lesson. I think it's a very good lesson. I think you're teaching them to be discerning, which is really what it's about. You know, they have to make up their own minds about this stuff, but they have to have the basic framework in order to make up their mind. They have to know what is news and what isn't news. And I think another aspect of this discussion is not only social media, but what is news and what is entertainment? I mean, I'm old enough to remember news programs that were actually like news programs. I mean, I mean, I could say Huntley Brinkley, then you'll know how old I am. I mean, like literally those people did not kid around. They were like, okay, this is what happened today. This was no commentary. There was no like, oh, let's make fun of this or let's laugh about it. It was the news. It's not like that anymore. The idea of having to mix the two, let's make the news entertaining has put, I mean, you mentioned Fox before, and I think it sort of encompasses all of this. News and entertainment, truth versus lies. I mean, it is a mix. And I think that people who watch have to be very discerning about what is going on there because they have figured out a formula. And I worked at Fox for a while. And I can tell you that I did not understand that there were news shows, like Shepard Smith did a news show. That was supposed to be down the middle. 
And then there were the opinion shows. Those were the ones that were on on prime time. And viewers did not know the difference. I, as a person who worked there, it took me a while to figure out, oh, wait a second, not every show is Janine Pirro or Tucker Carlson. There's an actual news show here where they do the news and that's the news. And it was bizarre. But they mix it up in such a way that as a viewer, it could be hard to tell. And that's difficult. And so when you teach your children to be discerning about like what they're watching, you know, what they're listening to, and the fact don't get your news from social media, it's very complicated. But your kids are going to be smart. And I think it's a good I think it's a good way to go. And now a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Avonmore Inc. Do you play bridge or does anyone in your family play bridge? You've got to check out avonmoreinc.com. They have everything for your next bridge party. Let them know that good is in the detail sent you. I'll link them in the show notes. They have bridge tallies, playing cards, notepads, coasters. It's a perfect gift for your friends. And the playing cards are also great for kids. avonmoreinc.com. Good is in the details is partnered with Newsly. It's that all-in-one super app for iOS and Android. You can listen to all of your favorite shows. You can listen to Good is in the Details and pick any topic that you like from the news, be it media, education, philosophy, transportation, law, and you'll have these articles read to you in a natural human voice. Use offer code THEDETAILS to get one month free premium subscription. And I'll link that in the show notes. And back to the show. There's also been kind of this backlash about the elite and universities and universities being so liberal and this discussion about like, you don't really need it. And just to your point, Carol, even in a general ed class, like let's say you need to take a history class and you have to write a term paper or I teach philosophy. My students will, are there's a lot of students who are not philosophy majors, but they need to write a term paper. And that exercise of just doing the research multiple points of view in order to formulate your own thesis is something that's extremely valuable. Just that skill alone, that if you're only watching one media source, you are not getting a full picture. And I think that that's one of the values where, you know, universities are being are being hit in terms of this is of no value. Like, what are you going to do with a psychology degree or a gender studies degree? What is that going to do? Not even realizing that all of the effort that goes into the study habits, the interacting with the professors, with clubs on campus, that all of these are a skill set that leads you into life and can help us understand what is the difference between truth and entertainment. The other thing that I wonder is that, is it the audience that is now driving the news? You see what I mean? Like, that if the network is saying, we are not going to talk about the story, like they are putting their fo- their stories forth based on what their audience, audience wants, which is skewing what the media is saying, what they are doing. And so is it now an audience-driven thing? That, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know if I said that very intelligently, but I'm starting to wonder if that's what's happening. I think you're right, but I think it's been a question for a long time because I think it's always been you want to get people to watch, you want to get people to listen. So you need to do something that's going to attract the audience. On the other hand, the station has a responsibility to report you know, with their resources, what the news actually is. And so it's a balance. I think 
when you put it in the lap of an audience of like, let's entertain these people, and you take away the responsibility of vetting the information, that's a bad thing. And I think it's maybe gone over into that corner now where stations have given up the responsibility. They want ratings, they want ad dollars, and so they go after what the audience feels entertained by. And that's, you know, there used to be a fairness doctrine. We we got rid of it, mm-hmm. you know, and and when I first started out in journalism, you had to have both sides of of the topic aired. If you gave one side time, you had to give equal time to the other side. And so there was much more of a balance. They got rid of the fairness doctrine. When cable TV came in, they said, oh, there's going to be 500 channels. There's no need for regulation because there'll be so much information that people get exactly what they want. Well, in fact, you got like 500 stations, like a lot of them did the exact same thing. They didn't have a responsibility to report anything. They, they could do whatever they wanted. And I have to say, I am not against regulation. I mean, I know, I know companies hate regulation, but I just think it's a free for all. I don't think companies take their responsibility seriously enough. And I just wanted to say one thing about college. I'm a big supporter of a college, going to college and university. And I'm a big supporter of liberal arts. I was a liberal arts major and I never would have gotten the breadth of knowledge that I got if I hadn't studied subjects I never would have done on my own. So I feel like that idea of everything you learn has to be used for something I think it's kind of a stupid idea. I think you want your brain to be as big as it can be and have as much information in it as possible of all different kinds. And then you then you weed out what isn't right and you take in what you think is right. But that idea of like, what is the idea? Just make money? I mean, I just think it's a silly, I think it's silly. That's is not what life is about. Can we, can we agree that geometry is useless though, Carol? I was really bad at it. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm just, I, I, that's the, I just, I can't, I can't, I've not used it like at all. I, I was terrible. Sorry. I, I just had to, I just had to, I needed that. I needed to make sure geometry, we can, all right. Okay. Geometry sucks. You know, it's very funny because uh, actually that I that was the one subject I failed. I did not get it. I, <laughs> I, 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 I feel like more kinship towards you. I, I, I my God, it, I was terrible at geometry. I'm still terrible at it. Sorry, uh, please. <laughs> I agree. I'll, I'll go for that. That's good. <laughs> Carol, I'm wondering, in your experience in journalism where you've seen these different ways that information and discussions come about. So we've got the paper, we've got television talk shows. It got to be big with, you know, Donahue and Oprah. And there's, of course, radio. In your just trajectory of your career, what do you make of podcasting? What do you think this is offering and this is bringing that these other mediums don't have? And do you see any kind of growth or just what is your point of view about podcasting? I want to ask a corollary question. Is podcasting journalism in your opinion as well? No, I love podcasting. I think that podcasting basically saved radio because radio was, I don't know, on some level becoming irrelevant of people watching YouTube or they're, you know, uh, watching their, watching, watching videos seem to have taken over to a large degree. So 
I think podcasting is great. The thing I love about radio, and I've been a radio journalist most of my life, is that it's very intimate. And podcasting has the same kind of intimacy. It's like you could actually, some, I'm in my closet and uh, you know, you are. Yes, it's true. Audience, she is. She is there. there. I can see. <laughs> I can see a whole. Array. You. You've done a very good job. You're very organized, by the way. By the, but please. <laughs> well, these are my husband's clothes. You're not seeing mine. Mine are in this. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take it. I'll take it. What could be more intimate? I mean, look, literally, uh, I'm talking to you, and I feel like it's a private conversation. I know that other people are going to hear this, but. In creating it, don't you feel that you do something very intimate in, when you are holding these conversations? That's so funny. It feels like it's just us, but it's going to be broadcast to hundreds, thousands of people. I think it is the intimacy of it where with some of the best advice from, from, from my good friends that I listen to in podcasting about how to be a great podcaster is be honest. The audience will know. They can tell in your voice. They'll hear something. You may think that you're pulling the wool over your, their, your, their eyes. You're not. The audience will know when you're not being honest and you're trying to put on a show. That's how intimate it is. It's raw. If you're not honest, then you're not actually doing a true podcast, in my opinion. I agree. And I think also, I have noticed that people have to be there for you. Like if someone is looking at their watch and thinking, oh, what's the next thing I have to do? It is not going to be interesting to listen to. I think if a person shows up for you and is actually present for you during the conversation, it makes the entire difference. People are going to want to hear it because it's something happening in the moment as opposed to some scripted thing that is not happening in the moment. I saw this post. I'm, I'm not... I'm not on Reddit a lot, okay? I saw a great post yesterday in one of the Reddit communities, Gen Xers, and they were complaining about how everything is video these days. Nobody wants to read an article. Podcasting, while it, this trajectory is high, now podcasting is like, what do you mean you're not on YouTube? What do you mean you're not on TikTok? You have to have video or else it's useless. Carol, I'm pissed about that. I don't I don't know why I'm so bothered by it. You know, I, I look, I... I act, I do stuff on the side. I don't mind being on video, but that's not how I want to educate myself. Am I just too old school? Is it my fault? Can, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, I don't relate to video as much as I do to audio. So it's a little odd for me too, I have to say. I don't have anything against video. And in fact, I've been doing video promos for, for the podcast and it's sort of been fun, but I'm really an audio person. So I, I'm with you on that, Rudy. I, I don't really get it. Now, there are people who film, video their podcasts, and it's on YouTube. And I don't know, maybe that makes it more interesting for listeners. I mean, I don't know, they become viewers, and I don't do that. I feel like I need to engage you where you are and you don't need to see me and you don't need to see my guests. Just listen to what we're saying. And I think, I think it fills up a room myself. The problem with podcasting is that there are literally 3 million podcasts in the space and it's very hard to get traction. Even for valuable, you know, unless you're This American Life or you are backed by Spotify or some huge podcast company, it's very difficult to be an independent producer and to get the kind of listener base that you want to get. So I think that's a big challenge. I, I focus on that more than I do the fact that, oh, people are not entertained enough. They need to see it on YouTube. I, I, I don't really care. 
I, I don't care. It's not a, you know, not a primary concern for me. So I'm with you on that. Something I think is interesting. So you're you're 100 right. Like there's like Wondery, like some of these uh, these big companies. I think they do crank out some really good podcasts, and so it's hard to elbow your way into that crowd. What I do like is that it's possible, especially for marginalized voices, that there is this opportunity, there is this window there. So what's been dominant in journalism and in media has been a very um, has been a, a centered white point of masculine, white, Western European type point of view. And I think now I don't want anybody's, that's not a hateful thing. Don't, don't come at me. <laughs> don't come at me. But I always have to say that whenever, like whenever I'm teaching or like I say something, and especially whenever we talk about feminism and the, you know, the poor young men in the class. And I'm just like, look, I, men, you're beautiful creatures. Okay. This is not anything antagonistic towards you. But just that that has been the predominant voice, that's what I'm saying, is that I think that podcasting has actually allowed for this window for different voices to be out there and to have that opportunity to gain traction. Yeah, I love the fact that there's a low bar to entry. I mean, people are doing it, you know, at their kitchen table. You don't have to have a lot of technical gear in order to do it. You know, you can just put it out there, and that's a great. You can thing do it in a closet because you do it even. When you do it in a yeah, closet. I mean, yeah, you have to have a closet. I mean, we're let's let's set some minimums here. Like we got, you got do you have a closet? No, I'm sorry, man, you can't 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 have podcasts. Just kidding. I'm sorry, Carol. <laughs> You're on. You got a closet. You're on. That is a wonderful thing about it because, you know, in order to do a radio show, you have to work for a radio station and you have to, you know, I mean, it, it's a lot more complicated. Doing a podcast, you actually can do it. And, and that's wonderful. And I think it's brought a lot of people into the space. But, you know, it's funny because it's like everybody does a podcast now. It's like social media. You know, everybody's on social media. Everybody does a podcast. You know, it's become that kind of populist uh, medium, which is great. You know, it's great. I'm happy to that 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 people have access who didn't have access before. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's truly right. the, the. I mean, hate to, to overuse this phrase. It's the democratization of uh, of audio. It's the democratization of getting your voice out there. I mean, it can be as simple as turning on your iPhone and and pressing the record button on the voice memo and shooting that out. You know, you you do need a computer. You do need internet access. Should there be three million? Yeah, sure. Why not? There's over eight billion people on Earth. Right. Think about all the billions and billions and billions of voices that are not heard that are out yeah. there. So you know, I'm I'm not troubled by by the number of podcasts out there. It's a marketplace. Either you're mm -hmm. going to develop an audience because of the word of mouth or because you do a great show. It does take a very long, usually takes very long time to get the traction, especially if you don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars backing you from the get-go. I think it's a great medium and I hope that people listen to podcasts to learn. So let me ask you that question, Carol. Since we're talking about journalism, we're talking about sources of information, what's the best way to use podcasts in order to educate your opinion and yourself? Like, What tips would you give for people who want to have podcasting as a tool in their tool belt to better inform themselves? Well, you know, I know people who do very successful podcasts, who have authors on, who don't read their books, who 
you know, say, okay, so what have you been doing lately? Or, (laughs) you know, tell us about yourself because they know nothing about the person. And some of them are very successful and very entertaining. Coming at podcast, coming to podcasting from journalism, I'm like a researcher. I want to know who these people are. I want to know what makes them tick. I want to know where they went to school. Like, for instance, Gloria. We were talking about Gloria before, Gwen. So I know that Gloria was brought up in Toledo, Ohio, in not a great family situation. Her father left the family, went to California. When they were all together, he sold antiques out of the back of a, of a truck. In the summer, they did something else, but they were always moving. She has a sister and her father left the family and her mother had a nervous breakdown and she basically grew up taking care of her mother. And I look at this woman and I'm like, she's the sunniest person I know. She's like so optimistic. Even now, like after the abortion ruling about feminism, she's like, no, it will be okay. It will, you know, she's an incredibly positive, optimistic person. And I said to Gloria, where does that come from? It's not like you had this background that was so supportive and, you know, you got everything you needed and all this kind of thing. And we went back and forth about that. And it was like, she said, you know, I think maybe you're just born with it. And I think to some degree that's true. And then she said, and you know, the other thing was they, my parents were not mean to me. They didn't mistreat me. They had their problems and, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and all of this stuff, but they were nice to me. And I thought those two things, I, I because I'm always trying to figure out where does somebody's disposition come from anyway? Like, like, are you born with it? Are, are you taught it? Where, where is it from, you know? And Gloria is a great example to me. I would never think she'd be an optimistic, sunny person, but she is. And I think that that's really helped her in lasting as long as she has, has and, yeah. and staying relevant as long as she has, because she goes with it. You know, she's a resilient person. She didn't like freak out when Trump was president. I mean, look, everybody, many people had problems with the direction of that presidency, but she was like, okay, well, we have to keep going. I mean, this is, you know, we have to do what we can do. Let's just do it. You know, you can't lay down and die. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I actually have a terrible disposition uh, in general. I was born with it. And uh, so I, 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 since I've been with Gwen on these podcasts, she's she's changed me into a uh, into an, an amazing, more optimistic uh, person. Uh, no, but no, but in, in all in all seriousness, I, I do think you are born a certain way. I do think you can try to move towards positive, but there's going to be some brain forces that are going to obviously put you back towards the negative uh, disposition. It's a lot of hard work to be positive. She's lucky that's her disposition. You know, I I mean, as I was saying here on the show, I'm like, oh, I'm worried about our country and I'm worried about people not forgiving people and people not being able to change their minds because that's my disposition. I worry as, as an individual, but I will say this. That worry gives me the fuel to keep going and to and to keep doing. You know, I I use my natural disposition as my as my engine. It's my fuel. Mm-hmm. And so those out there who also have a terrible disposition like me, don't worry, there's hope. I'm just just wanted to give that message up. <laughs> <laughs> Gwen, you're the positive person here. <laughs> well, I think for me, you know, I know that. Um, I'm not going to do any kind of like great, 
I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I know that the world is as is, and there's always going to be people who are not so great, and then there's people who are great. But I do like to, like, with your what you're doing with your podcast is I like the inspiration. I've always enjoyed biographies. On, on our last episode, we were interviewing a guest who was talking about how to find your dream job, and he recommended people look at biographies of the successful people in their industry. And I actually, I, I completely agree with that. And I think biographies in general are just amazing because you often have this idea of who the person is and then you see how they started out and then you see the hits that they took and how over time they evolved to be the magnificent person that they are. And that's the point is to see that trajectory to inspire yourself. And so I hope with this podcast that Rudy and I are doing, I want for the world to be good for my daughter. And if I can have a platform that puts out good ideas there about what does it mean to live life well, how do we enjoy our life, then I feel like I am creating something, a small piece, carving out a small piece of goodness in the world for her to be in. And then I think the other thing, and this might be kind of corny, but my father passed away when I was quite young and I would give anything to hear his voice. Mm -hmm. So this also... For me, when I do this, I hope that one day my daughter has, you know, she'll have access to this and she'll be able to say, that's my mom. So I think she really brings me to a and whole level. And then buffoon Rudy on that. And then, and then who's this, this guy? guy? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Poor Zadie. Poor Zadie. She yes. says Uncle Rudy. Go back to Zadie. <laughs> but I think that that's the possibility of podcasting is the the art of conversation, the art of dialogue having a platform, raising people's voices. So I think I'm going to wrap up with this question, Carol. You have had so many amazing guests. Is there somebody, is there like somebody you interviewed who you knew was going to be inspirational, but you actually walked away with so much more than what you thought you were walking into? You did all the research and then you thought, wow, this person is far more profound. Like the biography, the research I did just did not suffice to like, maybe you were thinking about them a lot longer after the interview had ended, or you continue to think about them. Is there somebody who stands out to you? Well, you know, I loved Norman Lear and Norman Lear was like, you know, the king of television in the seventies. He did the Jeffersons. He did uh, one day at a time. He did Archie Bunker. He did amazing television and was very amazingly successful. The thing I loved about Norman Lear, he was 95 when I talked to him and I went to his Beverly Hills office, which is gigantic and filled with all of these mementos from his 70 year career. He was so adorable. He was 95 and he said to me, I am here. And he was, he was there. I mean, he is there. He's going to be 101 in July. And I, I didn't really know much about Norman, but you know, Rudy, we were talking before about optimism versus pessimism. Okay. So this guy is like, he had twins when he was 72. He uh, sold a pilot to NBC when he was 95. He just keeps going, you know, and it's like an engine. And it's such a cool engine. Like Gloria, he's just kind of, he's he's for real. You know, you just kind of talk to him and you feel like he's for real. But for me, the real inspiration was he loves to get up in the morning and eat a salad for breakfast kind of like greet the day. He's happy he's there. I said to him, are you scared about dying? Because, you know, he's getting pretty old. And he said, no, I'm not really scared about dying. I don't look forward to it. But in fact, I know I'm going to get some questions answered. 
And if I don't get any questions answered, it will be like no more questions, but it will be another experience. And I'm thinking, wow, I, you know, he just goes there. He goes there, you know, and I, I loved it. I love being in that sunny a presence of, of someone who actually has accomplished a lot and is so funny and smart and fun to be with. That was a very sweet experience for me. I also spoke to Carl Reiner before he died. We were in uh, his Beverly Hills home and he sang me his favorite Irish uh, song. Uh, he told me how he walked around the block every day and sang this song. And I loved, and they were friends, Norman and, and uh, Carl were friends. And so Mel Brooks and uh, Dick Van Dyke, they were all friends. And they are all just the best, most fun people. So I love those guys. Yeah, I, I, that's, if you, if you ever listen to any episodes on Good as in the Details, there's this there's this theme, Carol, of my fear of death and how I actually am plotting to avoid it. I'm trying to, I'm legitimately trying to figure out how to transfer myself into a computer. However, however, you finally I mean, by you quoting that story from Norman Lear, you finally gave me like one or two, like, okay, but you know, if you die, you get some questions answered. That's pretty cool. There's something to look forward to. Here I was this whole time, really angry about all these things I was going to miss out out. You finally gave me a silver lining. So I feel pretty damn good now. Like I, I, I the sun is shining now in front of me. Like I'm, you just made my day. I'll be miserable. I'll be miserable in a couple minutes, but wow. Thank you. Hold on to it, Rudy. Come on, you can do it. I know you can. You could be later on today. You could be miserable, but Gillette, let's hold on to it for now. I'm, I'm, I'm. I feel like warmth for for like instead of the coldness. That's in, uh, thank you. Wow, <laughs> Carol, you're our sunny disposition. You're you're for our podcast. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's what a, a delight. It's such a pleasure to talk to both of you, and I love what you do, and uh, this has been a great joy. Thank you. Really, seriously, this is this is great. Thanks for making your show, and thank you for being it. I'm going to just be honest with you. I, yeah. An inspiration to me, somebody who loves journalism, somebody who loves writing, somebody who loves podcasting, you're a hero, and, and thank you for making me feel pretty good for about five minutes. That was really good. I, you're like... <laughs> Well, I send my love to both of you, and thank you. Good is in the Details is produced by Dr. Gwendolyn Dolsky and Rudy Salo. If you're enjoying this show and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please scroll down to the bottom and hit that five-star review. And remember to check out Carol's podcast. We'll link that in the show notes. We have a new book up on our Patreon. If you'd like to join our book club, go to patreon.com slash good is in the details. You can support the pod too. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, good is in the details pod. Okay, until next time. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>